the, the example that the Waldensians had when they enrolled in the university was to simply live out their faith. And as they lived out their faith, they didn't engage in, in, in obnoxious controversies with other people. It seemed as though they were not paying attention to what was going on. But other students began to notice what was going on, and they began to pay attention to their lifestyle a little bit more closely. And as they paid attention to their lifestyle, they noticed that they were praying not to the Virgin Mary like everybody else was, but they were praying to Christ, our Savior, the only mediator between God and man. And they began to ask questions. And as the other students asked them questions, they were able to share the truth as it is in Jesus in such a simple way that the minds of the other students, in, by the way, one of the darkest times in Earth's history, as you as you mentioned, uh, in one of the darkest times of Earth's history, they were able to grasp this uh, this light of truth. The Lineage Journey Podcast, unscripted conversations that aim to help you on the journey of discovering your lineage. Join us as we take a deeper look into past lineage episodes and see the lessons we can learn for today. Israel is an ordained Seventh-day Adventist minister who works as a director of the Public Campus Ministries Department for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Michigan headquarters. He also serves as the Associate Director for Sabbath School and Communication. He has been involved in public campus ministry for more than 15 years. He is also actively involved in other ministries and at U-Church, where he volunteers as family life pastor, serves on the Greater Lansing Adventist School Board and is the Michigan Conference Pathfinder pastor. Israel is also part of Team Revolution and has a passion for fresh and innovative ways to reach young adults and professionals within our church. He is also an excellent cook and loves to experiment in the kitchen using modern techniques. His educational background includes degrees in religion and secondary education with a specialty in Bible and social science social studies. He also has an MA from the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary where he also plans to work towards a doctorate that merges his interest in spirituality and religion. His greatest passion in life is developing and empowering young leaders through the emphasis of character development instead of talent. His favorite quote is from Jim Elliot, and it reads, He is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'd like to welcome those of you who are listening to our Lineage Journey podcast today. I have a special guest with me, Israel Ramos. He has a background in the subject matter that we're going to talk about for probably the last 10 20 years of his life and his ministry. It's an exciting subject and one we find interwoven throughout church history, our church history. We find it interwoven throughout Reformation history. And we also find some elements of it dating all the way back to the Bible times. So, Israel, thank you for coming here. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here with you. What's your background, job title, etc.? What are you doing? Right now, I'm serving as the Public Campus Ministry Director for the Mission Conference uh, of Seventh-day Adventists, and I also have the opportunity to serve as the Director for Campus, which is the Center for Adventist Ministry to Public University Students, and is based in uh, East Lansing, Michigan, and it's based in East Lansing, Michigan. 
How long have you been doing that? How many years? I've been working in campus ministry for pretty much all of my adult life uh, since 2002. Uh, I started off, or actually even before that, since 2000, since uh, 1999, actually. Started off as a missionary, part of the first batch of missionaries at campus. Back then, it was based at the University of Michigan. Uh, shortly after that, I went into the pastorate, and uh, I was pastoring in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where we had two major uh, colleges, universities there. Michigan Technological University in Finlandia, which is a Lutheran college uh, nearby, did that as well. And then um, in 2011, I was asked to head over the department, head over the the center. Mm. Okay. Now, we're going to use the word campus ministry a lot in in this podcast. So for someone who's listening that maybe that's a new term or they've heard it, but not exactly sure what it was, how would, I know in Michigan, campus is an acronym, but the term in general, what is campus ministry? Yeah, technically speaking, it's public campus ministry. So even in our own Adventist universities, we have this uh, appointment of some kind of a director or a leader that oversees campus ministry, which is really the spiritual nurturing and oversight of, of ministry or mission on the, on the Adventist campus. Uh, public campus ministry offers the same kind of service, but it offers it for students who are on non-Adventist university uh, campuses. And the church in, in uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church for a long time uh, has has been absent in in uh, this territory, largely because we have our own system of education. And so the system of education that we've had has required, uh, rightly so, the funding of the church in order to train missionaries to, to serve as physicians, as lawyers, or whatever in the world field. Uh, but recent statistics, and by recent I mean over the last 10, 20 years, uh, the church discovered that the vast majority of our Adventist young people are attending non-Adventist universities. And so I believe it was like maybe five or so, maybe five to 10 years ago, the General Conference appointed a public campus ministry leader. But in Michigan, we've had one since 1999. Mm, you're ahead of the game. Yeah. Okay. So public campus ministry is ministry on university campuses that are not the secular, they're not owned by, yeah. by, by the Adventists, et cetera. So, and, and you've, you've alluded to this, why it's needed today, because you say the majority of our students, at least in North America, is that reflected worldwide as well, you think? Yeah, I think more so than in North America, because in North America, we have, I think, uh, more available uh, access to Adventist True. education. Every union has one. Yeah. And uh, the other, the other public campus ministry is not just essential for our own students. That's certainly a, a necessary component and a very critical component. Because uh, statistics also show that the vast majority of our Adventist young people will leave the church within that critical area uh, while they're at university. And so it is a it is a critical ministry for our Adventist young people. But beyond that, it's a critical ministry for Adventist mission. If you think about what the church does, missionally speaking, we're sending uh, missionaries overseas um, every year and we're spending millions of dollars doing so. And and I believe in world mission, so I'm happy that our church is doing that. But oftentimes when we send missionaries overseas, they have to learn a new language. They have to learn a new culture. They have to learn all of these different things. And in many situations, their lives are in danger. The public university campus, it's a place where the world comes to us. Uh, not only is the world coming to us, but many of the people that come to the university are coming from what you know missional experts call the 1040 window, right? Mm-hmm. Places that are 
dangerous to go to. People are coming from the Middle East, from, you know, communist countries, from all of these different places where it would be unsafe for us to send missionaries. So they're coming here. They know the language. They want to understand the culture. And we have fertile ground to be able to share the mission and the message of Adventism. And not only that, but they're going back to their hometowns. So from an Adventist young person perspective, it's critical. But also from a missionological uh, perspective, it's also critical. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, a good twofold point. It's not just internal. It's not just yeah. for us, but it's there's a mission element to it. Yeah, a significant mm. mission element, and and it's more it's more cost effective, it's safer, and it's more it's really more productive too. Mm. Okay, yeah, because I mean, a lot of our universities are very multi. Yeah, national, multicultural these days. Mm. People come from all over, and and there's a there's a significant desire by people who come from other countries to want to learn the American culture, you know, yeah, and right, yeah. and and a lot of our American holidays offer opportunities for us to share Christ with people. Thanksgiving, Christmas, all of these different all of all of these different holidays allow for us to engage with uh, young people from around the globe who want to understand uh Christi- or, or, or uh, the American culture which has within it uh Christianity interwoven. Hmm. So public campus ministry we have it going on today we'll we'll unpack that a little bit what it looks like and what are the characteristics of it? But if we were to go back in time, because it's a lineage, we're looking at history and you know where we come from. What would you say might be some of the earliest forms of campus ministry that's similar in some sense to what we have today? Well, certainly when you look at uh, and w- when you look at the lineage uh, videos that you've already produced, you have the impact of public campus ministry by people like Martin Luther, who himself was a professor. I, the, the Wesley brothers are probably the most uh, famous, I think, uh, leaders in public campus ministry because really the Methodist Church started as a student organization on, mm. on a public university. But even before that, I think uh, in my mind, when I think about public campus ministry and the Reformation, what kind of comes to mind is the Waldensians, kind of more of the precursor to the to the Reformation. Mm. These are young people that... Um, that that were studying uh, the truths of Scripture in a very you know private cave and learning um, about God and learning about the Bible and so forth. And then these young people went as missionaries to the public universities. They um, mm. you know they, they they shared Scripture with people who were interested. They lived out their lives, they uh, their Christian lives. And as people saw what was going on, it offered them the opportunity to share. Uh, the Word of God with others. And so I think when you think about Reformation history, when you think about the history that ultimately led to the development of the Adventist Church, I would kind of track public campus ministry all the way down to the to the Waldensian young people that went into our mm. universities pretty much all across Europe uh, mm. to to uh, to share for the purpose of sharing the gospel. And here we find a, a key to the foundation of public campus ministry. You know, these young people enrolled in these universities not for the purpose of gaining a degree. That was a secondary mm. uh, uh, a secondary goal. Their primary goal was to share the Word of God. And, um, and, and I think that that is the model that we've received that was passed down from them from generation to generation, which gives us the model for public campus ministry. We are to attend the public university not so much because we have a degree to gain, but more so because we have a mission field to attend mm. to. Mm. 
Um, maybe just we'll come back to the maybe unpack the wall dancing a little bit more. But is there is there a biblical? Do we see any examples of people in the Bible who did campus ministry per se? Maybe not exactly the same, but there there's a there's a story in the book of Acts about the school of Tyrannus. You know where where um, I forgot who it was that was there. I, I wonder if it was Paul that was there and he that he. He engaged in the university and he taught the young people there uh, mm. the, the the scriptures of the word of God. And so there is there is an element of even in scripture, public campus ministry, where the apostles engaged with the university. They spent, I think it was a space of three years or something like that. Okay. And and the Bible says that the impact of that was significant because the whole community ended up knowing about the word of God and about the 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 God of Paul, the God of the apostles. And so there, there are elements in scripture. You have Daniel, you know, which mm-hmm. is more indirectly referred to in the the University of Babylon, mm-hmm. um, where he was trained by King Nebuchadnezzar. Clearly, Daniel was in the public university. It wasn't mm-hmm. like he was just um, uh, in the king's palace, but there was some kind of testing. He needed to know uh, Babylonian knowledge. He was uh, tested by the king himself in order to be promoted to the positions that they've had of of of, of serving. Uh, directly for the king, and so you have the story of Daniel, where he was in a public university, and where he was able to 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 use his experience as a student in order to promote uh, the living God. And so there are in Old and in New Testament times elements and references to uh, or allusions to work on the public university campus. Mm. That's fascinating. I, I wasn't familiar with the one in Acts. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's. So there's a biblical precedent in Old Testament and New Testament of people that were not at Jewish school or would Christian school, but had gone to the schools of the land. Yeah, and what emerges from that is that none of them had the choice to go there. You True. know, it's not like uh-huh. Daniel didn't want to attend the University of Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was kind of forced into that. He made the best of what it was. Yeah, but he made the best of what it was. And um, and so I, I think in Scripture and in uh, and and in the writings of Ellen White, it is in it is strongly encouraged, and it is necessary for our Adventist young people to our to attend our our own universities, our own institutions. They're designed to instill in in our young people not only a knowledge of truth but also a passion for missions. Yet in Scripture, we find young people attending our universities, our public universities, or schools of the land. But they're doing so as not an ideal option, but as a secondary option. Mm. True. So the the, the Waldens things you've, you you referenced them a bit early, and obviously there's some lineage episodes on them. But um, so they were a group of people that lived in northern Italy, and over several hundreds hundreds of years, you said that they would travel to universities as as primarily as missionaries. Yeah, this is this is taken from Selected Messages, uh, chapter thirty-one. It says the Waldensians entered the schools of the world as students, and notice what their method was. It says they made no pretensions. Apparently, they paid no attention to anyone, but they lived out what they believed. They never sacrificed principle, and their principles soon became known. This was different from any other. This was different from anything that any other student had seen, and they began to ask themselves, the other students began to ask themselves, what does this all mean? Why cannot these men be induced to swerve from their principles? And while these students, while these worldly students were considering these things, 
they paid they started paying attention to the Waldensians and it says that they heard them praying in their rooms they weren't praying to the Virgin Mary but they were praying uh, to the Savior whom they address as the only mediator between God and man and it says the worldly students were encouraged to make inquiries and as a simple story of truth as it is in Jesus was told their minds grasped it and so the the example that the Waldensians had when they enrolled in the university was to simply live out their faith. Mm. And as they lived out their faith, they didn't engage in, in, in obnoxious controversies with other people. It seemed as though they were not paying attention to what was going on. But other students began to notice what was going on and they began to pay attention to their lifestyle a little bit more closely. And as they paid attention to their lifestyle, they noticed that they were praying not to the Virgin Mary like everybody else was, but they were praying to Christ, our Savior, the only mediator between God and man. And they began to ask questions. Uh, apparently, the Waldensians had, uh, you know, uh, about them this culture that invited people to ask them questions. And and as the other students asked them questions, they were able to share the truth as it is in Jesus in such a simple way that the minds of the other students in, by the way, one of the darkest times in earth's history, mm-hmm. as you, as you mentioned, uh, in one of the darkest times of earth's history, they were able to grasp this, uh, this light of truth. Mm. Yeah. I, I love the, the legacy of the, the Waldensians because I think as in Bible believing Christians, they, we look at them as people that what would you say? They, they, they put the Bible above everything. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really a, a great legacy and then they've got the legacy of missions where they would go primarily as missionaries and not as academics yeah and and also i think to even add to that uh because i I watch your lineage series on the waldensians and i stole a lot of that in in, for my own uh presentations that i've given the other the other legacy that they leave behind is the legacy of innovation you know i mean the way in which they share the truth of god with the people that it came in contact with was you know, extremely innovative. You know, they sewed, uh, you know, parts of scripture in their own clothing. I mean, all of these different things were just innovative ways of sharing the gospel with other people. And and that also, um, that also strikes me in, in their methodology. Hmm. So that clothing thing, just mention that a bit. I mean, some of our listeners would know well what you're referencing to. Yeah. Just- so, you know, they, they were studying up in these, uh, uh, their schools were in caves and they would memorize large portion of scriptures and they would handwrite these large portion of scriptures on paper. And they would take these papers and sew them into the fabric of their clothing so that if while they were uh, doing their mission work, whether it was working or whether it was uh, attending the public university, if there was someone who had an interest in scripture, especially at that time, the scriptures were very hard to come by. If there was anyone that had an interest in scripture, then they were always ready to share these portions mm. of scripture that, that they had written down. So they weren't taking memory. a Bible. They were just taking pages. They were taking pages, pages. And, they would, and they would be able to give these uh, pages of scriptures to the people that, that uh, they came in contact with, which showed interest in the word of God. Mm. So just maybe to kind of recap, we've got some elements of campus ministry in the Bible with Daniel, though you mentioned that the point that these guys were were forced, they weren't. It wasn't their choice to obviously go to Babylon or or, or other um, instances like that. But we still have people that made the best for the situation. They were in a secular, well, I don't know if we say secular school. That's a, a today's terminology. They're in, a, they're in a school where the faith wasn't their own, yeah, and they were living out their faith. Then we've got early Waldensians, which were missionaries on campus, and then we've got the Reformation. You mentioned earlier Martin Luther and 
and John Wesley, these reformers that were based at campuses. Yeah. Like the Reformation really, when we were filming for Lineage, we were going from university to university and we were filming a lot of the episodes at at schools because the revival, interesting, that took place there, these centers of learning. I guess people were questioning and and so on. Um, It also, I think to me, there's a role for... There's a role in, in God's ministry and God's vineyard for, for everyone. And that's what I learned through, that's that's actually one of the biggest lessons that I've learned through watching the Lineage series. Some of the stories that you tell are stories of people that were extremely poor or people that seem to have little to no influence. And yet they played a huge role in in the Reformation. But then there are other people who are just clearly beyond reach in terms of their abilities. You know, I mean, there were like lawyers, there were ministers, there were doctors. I mean, there were all everything that you, everything that, every, everything that you could wish to be in one lifetime or in five lifetimes, they were in one lifetime, right? And these were people that were on, for the most part, on these public university campuses that were either uh, students or teachers or both. And what that tells me is that as these, that there was a certain a certain group of people in the Reformation that that had a yearning for excellence, mm. academic excellence that also spilled over into professional uh, and spiritual excellence, and and God used that drive, He used that talent, He used that skill to play a major role in, in the development of theology, mm. in the development of organization. That that that's what these people did. You know, Wesley. I mean, the organization. Uh, the organizational skills that he brought to the table in terms of the Reformation were were incredible, right? The mm-hmm. the theology that they built, I mean, theology like righteousness by faith and 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 sanctification, all of these things were 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 elements of truth that had to have been developed by people who had this lifestyle of excellence in everything that they did, whether it was the classroom, uh, the textbook, or the Bible in church, and and mm-hmm. God used that. To, you know, to to give us the light that we have now. Mm. Thank you for bringing up that point. I think in maybe our next episode or the one after, we're going to unpack that a little bit more with Sebastian Braxton and look at the doctrine that was restored through the Reformation and and and, and uh, the, 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 what you just indicated there. So, anyway, uh, we're going to uh, take a short break now. Thank you for the. We've looked at the Bible. We've looked at the Reformation. We've looked at. Um, the Wardenzies and we're, after our break we're going to come and look at a little bit more about public campus ministries closer to our time and see the, the role that it's played in, in our church and the Adventist church and what the impact it's making today so stay with us we'll be with you right away just after the break Lineage is a non-profit organization kept running by generous donors like you support us today on patreon.com forward slash lineage journey History shapes identity, identity shapes mission, and a clear mission determines the trajectory of your future. Knowing where you come from is key to understanding your present purpose and your future mission. Lineage Journey is a series of videos that will take you on a journey through time, discovering the key people and events that have shaped the Christian faith. From the Waldenses to Martin Luther to Zwingli, from England to France, Switzerland to Germany, The light broke over the horizon of Europe, piercing through the dark ages and then spread out over the world. As the United States of America rose to supremacy, Christianity formed the bedrock of this great nation. And so from the Great Awakening to the Great Disappointment and beyond, 
Lineage follows the journey of God's church throughout time, immersing you in the places, the stories, and the people through whom Christianity has shone the brightest. Join us on a journey through time. Follow us on social media at Lineage Journey or check out our website at lineagejourney.com. Lineage Journey not only produces video content, but instructive and illuminating resources to teach young and old about Christian history. Lineage has produced an educational coloring book for people of all ages. It includes original artwork from Ashley Bloom, highlighting the various heroes of the Reformation. Each scene has a matching story, and there are also QR codes to connect you to the website for more information and to watch the videos. There are also fun facts and memorable quotes to accompany the scenes to color in. Designed for young and old alike, get your copy now at lineagejourney.com. Hey guys, welcome back to our Lineage Journey podcast here with Israel Ramos from campus ministry in Michigan. So now we've looked at the Reformation a little bit. We've looked at the Waldensians. We've looked a little bit at the Bible and uh, the reason why we need it today. We've looked at the key missional aspect of campus ministry, that it's not just a pastoral service to the Christian or Adventist students on campus, but there's a missional element to it. So you did mention, Israel, that you know public campus ministries hasn't been that big in Adventism because at least especially in North America, we put a lot of our funding and resources and, and, uh, and money into our Adventist educational system, which is a very broad system. There's elementary schools, there's high schools, there's colleges and universities. But you mentioned that a majority of Adventist students today, though, attend public campus ministries. But what is the history of public campus ministry in Adventism? How far would you say it goes back? Is there a, is there a mandate for it or, or, or anything like that? Yeah, well, I think the, there, to, to even go a little bit further back than that is, when, as soon as the Adventist church started, the first two things that the church did when it became an, an, an official organization is that it established the health work and then it established the educational work. I mean, th- th- and, and so those are, in my opinion, those are the two legs upon which Adventism walks uh, from a ministry perspective. The other thing, too, is when you look at the, the 1800s, 1888, so forth, around that time, which, which historians, Adventist historians, think about those years as the most difficult years of the Adventist church mm-hmm. where it's finding itself. Um, and, and they talk about how Ellen White then recentered her understanding of, of Christ and so forth. And you have those classic books that emerge from that. Well, during that time of theological discussion and during that time of, of identity, that critical moment of identity within the Adventist church, what emerges at the very same time is most, if not all, of Ellen White's work on education. So what, it's important for us to kind of see here that there's a parallel between the development of Adventist theology and the development of Adventist education. Ellen White so much goes to such great extent that she actually says 
that at the very conclusion, if you distill Adventist education, she says the work of education and redemption are one. Hmm. Why do I say all of this? Because in the mind of Ellen White, education was not just a system, but it was a theological understanding. Hmm. So with this theological understanding, she frames this work on education, which, by the way, it's different, vastly different from any other system of education that exists in the world at that time and in our world today. So we create this Adventist system of education, which has as its focus uh, the, the, the centrality of God, the knowledge of God. So she says the knowledge of God is the most critical of all knowledge that a young person is going to learn. And based on that, we build everything else. Math, science, all of that must be founded on this principle of knowing God. This is the system of Adventist education that is being uh, developed by Ellen White. At some point in our experience, while this is being developed, even in the 1800s, what ends up happening is that we start establishing colleges and universities. These colleges and universities are designed to teach missionaries. People ought to be missionaries. So you have Loma Linda University, you have Andrews University. All of these different universities are designed to send missionaries forth to the field. At that time, we had our Andrews University was a was at Battle Creek, and they were learning specifically how to become medical missionaries. The young people that were studying at Battle Creek under uh, Dr. Kellogg started going to a neighboring university in Ann Arbor, which was also developing around that same time. That's the University of Michigan. And so as early as 1890, uh, there's an Adventist public campus ministry that's beginning to develop. As a matter of fact, if you go to the University of Michigan uh, Daily Digital Archives, uh, in, the, in the University Daily Newspaper from October 12, 1891, there is an article that was written called An Advent Boarding Place. Mm. And central to the University of Michigan campus. So the University of Michigan is very famous, particularly for one major thing— famous for many different things, but one specific that comes to mind, that's where John F. Kennedy, uh, president at that time, launched the Peace Corps. Uh, and, and it was launched at what the, the, the hall is known as the Michigan Union. Well, just several steps away from the Union, not too far, the central location on campus, cent- several steps away, I mean, less than, less, less than even uh, a mile. Right there, there was in the center of campus, there was this Advent boarding place. Uh, and it was run by, at that time, by a medical student. Um, and the name of the house was called the Battle Creek Sanitarium Home. And it was located on right on the corner there by the university. And it, at that time, even by that time, it already housed 25 students. Wow. They paid $3 a week to live there, um, they served vegetarian food. Uh, that was served at the Battle Creek Sanitarium. They didn't offer, and, and the newspaper article outlines, you know, you can have many different things there, but you're not going to have coffee or tea or um, or pie. I don't know why they didn't serve any pie, but pie was not allowed. And they served, they talk, they, it talks about the celebrated bread, which I think was Zweibach, um, that, that people ate, which was toasted for hours. And then uh, at the conclusion of the article, it talks about... Um, or, or, it, or in the in the article, it talks about how these young people went to school or went to church on Sabbath. They held Sabbath services, 
and that we're encouraging people to hurry up and sign up to be to 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 uh, to live there because they were running out of space. So even as far back as 1890, there was a thriving public campus ministry that was already operating at the University of Michigan. Mm. And this is why Ellen White wrote uh, later on, just a few years later, she would write about um, our Adventist young people not needing to go to the University of Michigan to learn something, but rather going there to sow seeds of truth, I think is how she put it. Mm. Fascinating. So what's that, over a hundred, what, 130 years ago now? Yeah. And, 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 and I think public campus ministry, even though it was not organized by the General Conference at that time, mm-hmm. it was more localized. There are uh, stories of, of, of um, people even two generations ago um, that, that were studying in public universities, starting uh, different chapters. I know, um, I know uh, in Australia, you know, there was uh, the Standish Brothers that were over there and they, they started a public campus ministry while they were getting their, their uh, doctoral degrees at uh, the University of Sydney. Uh, my father-in-law went to Seoul National University, which is uh, the Harvard of, of Korea. Mm-hmm. And um, the, his older brother, which would ultimately become the president of Samyuk University, which is our Adventist university, he and, and his uh, brother, along with a few other people, started a public campus ministry in, at, at Seoul National University which I think to this day continues. And so there are, there are stories as far back as, you know, um, the, the sixties and seventies where public Mm -hmm. campus ministry was, was strong at some of our world's uh, most prestigious universities. Mm. Okay. Well, what would you say? You you said you've got about 20, 20 years or so in campus ministry. What have been some of the challenges you faced I guess maybe personally, but also getting the whole thing off the ground and so on. Sure. There's a lot of, the biggest challenge with public campus ministry is that it does not know how to relate to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Because we have our own system of education, it's, you know, public. Well, it doesn't fit in. Yeah, it doesn't fit. It's an alien, you know, it's an alien ministry. Um, and so when a when a young person goes to one of our own institutions of higher learning, they're already connected to the church. Mm -hmm. chaplain, through organization, et cetera. On a public university, the university does not, um, does not know, does not consider, does not engage with the Adventist church in an organizational sense. Mm -hmm. I can go to a public university and not have any access to student dorms or public uh, building places. Mm -hmm. I'm not acknowledged or, uh, you know, I'm not acknowledged uh, as, as anyone that has any kind of place in the university. This would not happen in our Adventist institutions. At the very same time, the church does not recognize the university student either on the flip side of things. You know, if you go to our Adventist institutions and you have a student club, the church will recognize that there's, you know, financial support for development of faith and so forth and so on. That does not exist on the public university. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Adventist church does not know the vast majority of our student population on public universities. And so because of that, it, communication becomes very difficult and it becomes very difficult to establish some, mm. some kind of organizational structure that, that really works. So we've tried to, the church is trying to, does this fall under education? Does this fall under um, you know, uh, uh, medicine? Does this fall under health ministries? Does this fall under ministerial, under the youth department? There are so many different demographics 
that or, or departments within the organized church structure that are trying to figure out where does public campus ministry belong? Mm. And the truth of the matter is that to some degree, it belongs in all of these places. The local church really is the one that should be most engaged in public campus ministry. So it involves ministerial departments. It involves education departments because they're on their course through education. It involves the youth. But at the end of the day, I think we need the lack of uh, professionally trained ministers that are focusing and specializing on public campus ministry has been, in my opinion, the church's the greatest uh, downfall for our church mm. in recent times. Mm. Yeah, I think you've articulated well how the, our, our structure doesn't relate well to anything outside the structure. Right. And yeah. Yeah, and so because that society is not in the church, it's on a campus, and yeah, anyone could start it. And who 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 do they answer to? Right, we're not quite sure what to do with it. What what about on the flip side? What have been some of your successes? You've been working in this, and I'm sure you've had interaction with students from all over the world, and also obviously all over the states. What what have been some of your successes in this in this? One of the greatest blessings that I've received in working in public campus ministry is when I when I encounter the parents of students that um, come to me and tears are in their eyes and, and, and they recognize that their student when they went to university was on the way out of the church. And, um, and as a result of the, of the work on the campus, not only are they in the church, but they're serving uh, as leaders in the local church. In small churches in the middle of nowhere, they're engaged. They're serving as, in one particular instance, uh, there's this young man who... Um, when he was at university, was, you know, uh, going to games on Sabbath and, and, and so forth and so on. After engaging with the student group and after uh, um, being a part of campus ministry, they got connected with the local church. And now he's um, the chair of the school board, right, at, a, at an Adventist uh, small school in, in, in the middle of nowhere. And so these kind of stories, they remind me of why we do this work. Every if if the church was simply to retain its own, that in and of itself would be a huge evangelistic endeavor, and that makes me uh, very happy. We also run campus, which is our missionary training program. People come uh, to serve as missionaries on the public university uh, campus. They receive their training, and our graduates, people that have gone through our program, are some of our greatest success stories that we're, that we're extremely proud of. You mentioned Sebastian's going to be coming for the next episode. He went through our program. There are people who are serving as missionaries in, in very dangerous places that we can't speak of on, on the air, uh, but, but they're serving God as, as underground missionaries, and they're doing very, very good work. We have stories of people who have converted from atheism, you know, uh, from Buddhism, Hinduism, all, all sorts of different religions that have found Christ and too many stories to tell that when you see their faith journey and what they've had to give up in many situations, they've had to go against family, uh, against uh, you know uh, careers that they were pursuing, scholarships, in some situations that they give up scholarships. All of these stories just, they tell me that God is alive in this generation, even though the world seems to portray a different picture. And that brings a lot of um, encouragement to me in, in my own personal walk. Fascinating. So you've seen baptisms, I'm sure, on campus. Oh yeah, we've seen we've seen many young people give their lives to God uh, on these public university campuses, 
and 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 their stories are powerful because of what they had to give up mm. you know um there's a story that comes to mind about a young girl who was um who was studying uh, on a, on a, on one of our public universities she was studying music she found god through another through another musician um and she you know her passion her, her passion was music that's where she was headed and after finding god she she had to leave that behind and 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 go into a different into a different field and she studied she switched her major started studying arabic because she wanted to be a missionary to uh to the middle east and now she's engaged on one of our public university campuses mm. uh there in michigan there are stories of people um most recently a, a young lady who was uh hindu um, just recently had gone through a divorce uh, I knew I actually knew her husband from before I met her uh, as a matter of fact I knew her husband as far back as 1999 um, when m- my wife Judy was a student at the University of Michigan at that time and tough divorce and so forth and so on but through that journey she found God and um, and was just recently baptized uh, last last year this year this year, last mm. year, I forgot when, but but there are there are many stories of young people who are giving their lives to God, and God is alive and well in in this generation. Mm. It's always encouraging to hear that the ministry has fruit. Now, if someone's listening and they interested in getting involved or conducting campus ministry, are there a couple of places you could point someone um, to resources about how to how to do campus ministry? There's there's not a lot of practical resources on what to do. Uh, certainly we have our website, campushope.org. Um, and there's some resources there. I think the general conference has a website as well. Um, in reality, in, if, if there, if there's a young person that's trying to start a public campus ministry for the most part, uh, more likely than not, they're one of very few people that they know on their university, Mm. uh, campus. And so I would follow, uh, you know, third selected messages, chapter 31, what the Waldensians did live your life on campus, be true to the scriptural understanding that you have Hmm. specifically observe the Sabbath in a cutthroat environment when everyone's trying to gain an edge and so forth and so on in their academic studies, observe the Sabbath, let your life be a testimony of, of what, of, of what you believe in. And as you live your life from day to day, people, even though it does not seem that way, people will begin to notice what's going on. And the story of the Waldensians will also become your own. They will begin to ask questions. And then you will have the opportunity to share in simple form the truth as it is in Jesus. And people will be able to grasp it. Minds will be able to grasp it. Don't enter into any controversies, but just live out your life as Daniel lived and as the Waldensians did in their time. Mm, Thank you. So even if there's no society, you're really letting people know just, just be faithful. Um, live out your life be a missionary where you are and let God lead and open the various doors yes um, drop seeds of truth mm-hmm. well thank you um, so what was the website you said again your website our website is campushope.org okay if anyone wants to find out or get in touch with, with Israel Ramas you have campushope.org well thank you for listening thank you for being a part of our podcast today Israel really thank appreciate you your time me. and your presence here and for your ministry in campus ministry we we pray that god will continue to bless you and that the work would go forward not just here in michigan um united states but across the world because 
it, it's, it's going all over and it's a, a great work that needs to happen and needs to continue so thank you guys for listening and we'll look out for the next episode that will be coming up in our series we're going to be looking at doctrine restored and what was lost in the reformation how it comes back so may god bless you and may you be a missionary wherever you are and may you be faithful that let your light shine like the waldensians did in the dark ages god bless you thank you for listening we hope that you enjoyed this episode lineage journey is supported by your generous donations did you know that you can donate on a monthly basis any amount from $2 to 100 or whatever you decide through patreon.com forward slash lineage journey. Your donations go towards the cost of producing our varied content and we thank you for your support.